Hi, everybody. I need one of these. Well, good morning. Morning. Oh, people are, people are feeling good today. I actually get some good mornings back. That's good. Oh, well, I am I'm thankful to be here this morning. Boy, I, can I take a nap just for like 15 seconds? Can I just take a 15-second nap? I'll wake up here. Because it's been a busy week. It's been a really busy week. Uh, but it's been good. It's been, it's been full but good. That's how it feels like. Full but good. And I'm ready for a nap. But I am thankful this morning because we're kind of, um, I've been looking forward to starting this series uh, that we're just calling Meet with God, which is prayer, like a series on prayer. And, and um, I've been excited about this for a long time. Um, you probably are aware that like we have kind of some discipleship practices here. They're out on that sign in the lobby, things that we are doing to become everyday disciples. And one of them is to meet with God every day. Um, we have those, yeah, six things, but one of them is, is meet with God every day. If, we're go- if you're going to be a disciple, I really believe that you have to make it a priority to, to meet with God, to encounter him in prayer, or um, to say it another way, like just to develop, intentionally develop a prayer rhythm, a prayer life. Uh, and what we're going to be going over on Sundays over the next several weeks is we're just going to focus on prayer. What does it look like to develop a prayer life um, beyond the surface level of stuff of, well, it takes time, you know? Like, that's actually important. We do need to consider the fact that it will take time, and how do we find time in a busy world? But, but even deeper than that, like, why do we pray? What, is, what are we doing when we're praying? What are we seeking after from the Lord? Um, so we're going to do that, and, and not only on Sunday mornings, we're going to be, like uh, Sean was talking about, like having these groups, and we're going to be diving into prayer. I have a little slide. I, I realize I didn't put the QR code on the announcement slide, but that, is, that QR code goes straight to the signups for, for, for the, uh, the groups. So there are groups forming. Uh, we've got uh, four different groups, different nights and stuff like that. Um, and you might say, well, I've been to small groups before, and, and I've done lots of things before, and I know, I know about prayer. And that's, see, that's the thing, is we all know about prayer. <laughs> I'm not sure if all of us really pray, right? And so actually, this is a pretty unique sort of approach. Um, we're using John Mark Comer, uh, who used to be a pastor down in Portland and now just makes stuff like this, uh, small group material and stuff like that. We're using his, his, his curriculum. It's called the Prayer Practice. And it's a really practical, so it's, it's a video thing, and it's four, four sessions, and we're, we're doing them every other week. So we're, we're talking about four meetings here, where you actually would show up uh, in someone's home and, and, and get together. Um, and you might think, well, it, it, am I really suggesting that watching four videos is going to help you develop a prayer life? And the answer is no, I'm not suggesting that. But what I am suggesting is you're going to take this workbook home, which is considerable. I mean, it's not... It's not heavy. But, you know, there's 80 pages in here. And what this workbook is about is, like, what, 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 what's, what's the beauty of this thing is that it's not about the videos. It's about you take the videos and you put them into practice. Because that's the missing piece for us when it comes to prayer. We know about prayer. We know what we should do in prayer. We don't feel equipped, though, and we don't feel enabled to actually step out into it. We don't feel motivated to step out into it. We don't feel like we have the right strategies or tactics, right? And we don't feel like we have the right heart behind it. And the aim of this is to get you together with other people 
to process through that and then equip you to actually start practicing it, to develop a habit of prayer. Because knowing it isn't doing it. I can tell you, I've tried that strategy so much in my life. I know a lot of things, yet I am very lazy. <laughs> and it's a, it becomes a bit of a problem for me. So, so this is about like getting together, learning, but then doing. So I really want to encourage you. Um, I, I also really appreciate this because it's helpful no matter where you're at. Maybe you've been a Christian for five minutes or five years or 50 years. Um, this can, this is made to kind of help you take the next step wherever you're at. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. A lot of things, you know, like are very low level or they're too high. This kind of gives you a lot of options, a lot of pathways to follow depending on where you're starting from. So I wanted to encourage you guys to, to consider uh, getting into one of those groups. Um, they're still open, um, every other week, uh, one's Monday, two are Tuesday, one is Wednesday night. Um, and different locations and stuff like that. You can, again, get the QR code and uh, go through that. Uh, so as we set out um, on this journey to grow in prayer together, um, in those groups, but also as a church, I, th- I think what I want to do is just start by answering one question today. And that is that, it was like, why pray? Why should we meet with God every day? Why should, like, what's the, what's the reason behind it? And here is my answer. My answer to this question, why pray, is this. You should pray because you are not a Tesla, which makes everything very clear. I'm certain, right? Now, there is Tesla fever going around I-90. I would love to catch it, but I don't think it's happening for me. And so I, I, I'm not, I'm, this is not, it's, I'm just noticing, and I, it's great. I, I am all here for it, guys. They're much less expensive than you think, as Ryan will explain to you. Um, because, <laughs> I mean, he's right. He's right. There's like, okay, so anyways, that's enough. I'm, I'm not, this is, I'm not being paid. This is not, Elon Musk isn't sending me a check later. Um, but here's the thing about a Tesla. Like, a Tesla is a tool to drive. It is a driving tool. It is a tool that's made to, for you to drive it one place or another, or someday it will drive you. Okay, no, that's, again, not, I'm not, I'm not pushing it, but um, I'm sure you know that in order for a Tesla to do its work, to continue to drive, a Tesla needs to be recharged every day, probably, depending on how much you're driving. So what you do if you have a Tesla is you take it home and you put it in your garage and you, you plug it in. Big surprise. Because uh, a Tesla is made for its work, which is driving, getting you where you need to go. And in order for it to do its work, it needs to be recharged. But you're not a Tesla. Like when you go home at the end of your day, you park your Tesla in your garage, and then you go into your home, and you have dinner with your family probably. Maybe you watch a show. Maybe you go out and meet some friends. Um, Maybe you read a book. Maybe you, yeah, binge watch Netflix. I'm not... You know, maybe. People do different things. And then you probably eventually, at some point, some of us earlier than others, uh, you rest, you sleep, you go to bed. But, I mean, like, let's think about this. Here's the question. Like, like, why do you go home? Why do you spend time with your family? Why do you sleep? Why do you rest? Is it because you are like your Tesla, just a machine that's actually made for work? And as a consequence of, of that purpose... 
You just have to rest. Like, it's a necessity in order to do the stuff of life, to get the real purpose of life done. Is that why you rest? Look, if we look at the life of Jesus, and we read the Bible, and we kind of consider what is life presented to us to as in Scripture, the good life presented to us as in Scripture, it's pretty clear you are not a Tesla. You were made for more than what a Tesla is made for. You shouldn't try to live like a Tesla, because that would actually be misliving. Just resting so that you can work. Your purpose is different than that. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, right, which is like from the Reformed tradition, and it kind of articulates, um, you know, questions and answers about God. And one of the questions is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end, or woman's chief end, is to glorify God and love Him forever. Not to do a job, not even to raise a family, not to climb a mountain, but your chief end, the ultimate goal and purpose of your life, according, I think, to Scripture and according to Westminster Catechism, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You aren't a Tesla. You are not created just to do things for God. That is not your chief end, is just to get work done for God. Your purpose is not just to work. Your purpose is to enjoy God, to glorify Him, to know Him, to listen to Him, to be in a relationship with Him. That's what you were made for. That. Not all the other stuff that comes about in your life. You are not a Tesla. Dallas Willard who I am fond of, was fond of saying, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You don't just have a spiritual part of your life. You are actually a spiritual being. That is essential to who you are. You were made to and have the capacity to interact with God. You were not designed to have a spiritual life by which we tend to mean just like one little compartment of our lives that we do on Sunday and maybe occasionally for 10 minutes in the morning. Your whole life is meant to be spiritual. Everything, you were designed for that, to have a relationship with God. Your life with God isn't a part of your life. It is, in the biblical picture of what is the best expression of life, it is your life. You are a soul. You don't just have a soul. And I don't think anyone, even people who don't really believe in God, I don't think people who don't even believe in God have much trouble believing that we have a soul. We all sense that there's some part of us that we can't really see, right? Some unseen part of me that makes me who I am. And we realize that nurturing that part of our life is a good thing, and so we do things to nurture that part of our life, and we, we tend to call it, our, to call it like recharging our batteries, right? We got to recharge our batteries. We, we have to nurture the unseen parts of our life, and for Christians, uh, I think we get that right away, like, because everybody gets that, and we, we, we get right away that there is a, a Christian way to recharge our batteries, our spiritual batteries, and we, we understand it makes sense that that's prayer, it's going to church, it's, it's fellowship, maybe it's communion, maybe it's reading your Bible, 
But the logic of that is, well, okay, so I know I have a soul. I know I have a life with God. I know that soul needs attention in order to, 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 to be good, to be developed. And so I need to give my soul enough attention so that I feel okay. Charge enough to get the real work done. And that's honestly, it's not the worst way of thinking. I'm not saying, tisk tisk. How dare you think that way? It's not the worst way of thinking. In fact, I think when you're starting out, out as a Christian, like, that's it. Like, you suddenly come alive to the reality that, oh, I'm more, like, I was created for more. I, was, I have the capacity, the unique capacity, because the Spirit is within me now, to, to relate to God. Like, and that's like, you can go down that road for a while, and you understand, like, I just have to, like, nurture this thing and develop it more, because it, it seems to be feeding me in a, a real unique way. But I would say this, that type of thinking, just, I need to recharge my batteries so that I can get through life, it's not necessarily bad, but it won't get you past a certain point. It won't carry you through life as a Christian. Maybe a couple years. Here's a disturbing thing to think about, because this is how I help you, uh, right? You might know this, but like, you don't want to think about it when you're flying across the country. On most like, long-haul flights, do you know that when they fill it up, they only fill it up for enough fuel to get there, and then maybe 10, 15 minutes extra? Don't think about that when you're flying. Like, what if they underdid it just a little bit? Like, what if they were cheaping out? Like, and you get, like, landing, and then you just turn out of gas. So I'm sorry. I apologize if you're afraid of flying, and I've just made it so much worse for you. I lied. That's not true. Just don't Google it. Um, <laughs> and they do that, right? They do that because, well, the airlines um, are really trying, uh, what they're trying to do is, um, they're trying to be as economical as possible, right? Because fuel costs money, and actually... The plane burns more fuel if it's heavier, and so less weight means just, it's just like optimization. It's optimization. And that works great for airlines. I'm not, I'm not writing a complaint letter to Cheryl, to, to, to Alaska, about, about how they shouldn't do that. No, I'm not going to do that. I think that's great. I've, I've grown comfortable with the fact that I'm just trusting my life to someone to measure the right amount of fuel. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's life. It works for airlines, and it works for Teslas. I mean, I was driving home the other day, and I had to drive my kids to school, but I forgot to gas up my car, and it said I had 50 miles, and so, but I, I mean, I rolled into that gas pump <laughs> at the end of that day, like, and that worked. It worked for me. I, I was willing to take a risk, because I live dangerously. Uh, <laughs> but when we live that way spiritually, like, when we just, like, just are, are, are running on fumes, Really just trying to just, I'm just going to get enough of God so that I can do the really important stuff of life. It just doesn't work. Because what happens is this. What we start to do is we start to understand that, okay, yeah, prayer and resting in God, like, that's, that's nice. It would be nice to do that. Like, and I, I realize I feel better. I feel better when I am trusting in the Lord. Like, I feel better when I'm at church or in my small group. I feel better when I'm praying. And we, we get that. We get that. But it's hard to get that on the urgent list of things to do when you are busy people. 
Because we have other priorities, right? And we have to optimize and economize. And we have to say, okay, what do I need to get the job done? And so I just need to do the things that I have to get the job done. And, and sometimes we start off and we say, okay, I get that prayer does that. But we're smart people around here, right? And we know how to optimize better than a lot of folks. You guys are, you guys are optimizers. You guys live in Seattle. You've, you've figured it out. How do you pay $4,000 in rent? You figured it out. <laughs> you can optimize around here. You can cope. You're competent people. And what we start to do is, is we start to optimize our lives, and we start to realize, well, yeah, I mean, I, I have a soul, and I feel the longing to be uh, with God, and, and I enjoy doing that, uh, but we start to cope, and we also find, if we live life long enough trying to go down this way, that there are also other ways, at least to deal with the longings of my soul. It seemed, they seem to work. They take away the angst. They take away these urges that I have for something more. So we turn to things like, like drinking and drugs and pornography and sex, doom scrolling, recreation, because they scratch the itch a little bit. And we find, you know, I can exchange my, my prayer life, my spiritual life for those things, and everything seems to work out. I get there. I might get there on fumes, but I get there. I get the job done. So what's the problem? Am I not feeding my soul? I feel okay, at least for a while. And, and then your prayer life, your spiritual life, just becomes another strategy that's competing for all the other things. Crowd, and, and you're, just, you're just doing what optimizes best, at least for the time being. And then we end up killing your spiritual life. I don't mean killing. That's, that's like a drastic word. But you neglect it. I neglect my spiritual life because I'm just like, well, I'm trying to optimize my life. But then it catches up with me. Augustine, St. Augustine, fourth century uh, church father said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. He said, you know, like, like he, he lived a life, like his, his uh, biography, autobiography, Confessions is, is just fascinating. Like, he lived a life. He chased all the things. He, he optimized, and he optimized more than anyone in his age, like, like the top of the pinnacle of society and culture, uh, in education, political influence, and he got to the, to, the, to the height of heights. And it felt good for a while, but eventually he just realized, I am still restless, despite all my optimization, despite my feeding my soul or my longings with all the things of this world, I remain restless. And the only thing that will satisfy me actually is God. You have a soul, and in fact, you are a soul. You and that soul, like your heart, your spirit, whatever, like is the, the however you want to think of like what makes you you, will always be restless, in the background, sometimes in the foreground, until you are just like resting in God, until you figured out that that's actually what you were made for. You were created to find rest in God which blows our, our Western worker bee minds, that that could be the actual goal of my life, is just to rest. I want to look at Hebrews 4, uh, verse 6 through 11, and we've looked at this, uh, I don't know, a couple months back. Like this, Hebrews is my, is my jam. It's where I like to live. Um, 
And I'm just going to read you this passage. Hebrews 4, 6 through 11. I've got it here. It's in the New Living Translation, if, if that matters to you. Uh, so God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering this rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted today when you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts from Psalm 95. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them their rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. The writer of the book of Hebrews is doing some like first-rate biblical theology, like an overview from beginning to like future goal of where God is bringing the world, and he's focusing on rest and how rest has been a theme in Scripture. God's design is actually built according to, uh, right here, around rest. And he's pointing that to, to the fact that God's people, that, that God's people have a purpose that God has been revealing throughout the Scriptures. God has been up to something from the very beginning. He is restoring the world. He is reconciling things to himself. He is bringing his people back to their creative purpose and giving them rest, resting their souls in relationship, in covenant, in love, in bringing the Spirit back into their lives by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, unleashing grace and kindness into the world and into people who receive him by faith. And T. Wright comments on this passage, he says this, we are faced with a sequence of three rests God's own rest on the seventh day of creation, the rest which Joshua, the, the leader of Israel after Moses, which Joshua gave the people when he brought them into the promised land, and the future rest which, is, which, which the Psalms promised, and which, according to Hebrews, remains still as a promise looking into the future. Joshua gave the people their first rest. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, will give them their final rest. The writer of the book of Hebrews is, is correcting God's people for their lack of faith, their failure to understand what is God up to in calling them out and inviting them into a relationship with him. He's letting them know that they are missing the whole point of what God has been up to. Joshua led the Israelites to rest in the promised land, to build them up in faith, to let them hope in God, to be entrusted to him with their whole lives. But this Yeshua... Jesus, sounds like Joshua, that's because it is, he's come to give them real rest, to give them what they never could have because they did not lean into God's promises. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' ministry, 
he went around proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God, and it was that you could enter in to what God had through this discipleship, salvation, new life in him. Jesus promises that he is able to show us a way of being a person as God designed it, and that it's about rest. The cure to our restlessness is the assurance that God is doing a work in us. That he is going to carry us through as we simply follow after him. That we'll find rest for our souls by taking up this minimal burden of following Jesus by faith. Because that's what we're made for. That is the highest expression of being a person. And it is the highest expression of your life and existence. Like you are most fully yourself. Who God has made you to be when you are just resting in him. Trusting in him. Brian Heasley says this. God pursues us. It is a gracious pursuit. One that is laced with kindness in order for him to help us recover and restore. We do not need to fear encounter, because in genuine encounter, we're made whole. Christ's intervention through his sacrificial death nullified the separation we experience because of sin and death. Amazing reassurance is given in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The original plan is reset. God walking and talking with people without barriers. The presentation of what your life is about is so much different than what we minimize it to be. Scripturally, it's like your life consists of your relationship with God. The best things in life, the most central things in life, the things that it's at the nuclear core of your life are about a relationship with God. You are made whole as you enter in and know him and trust him and meet with him and experience his presence, everything about your life comes together at that place of encounter and meeting. And Jesus has welcomed us in. He says, take it upon yourself, my easy burden, so that you would have a rest. But we optimize. We optimize our way right out of rest and right out of what God really desires to give us. A confidence that there's no sin, no separation between me and God. I don't lack anything that he will not provide. Because he's kind, he gives us rest. Jesus has made it so that we can know God, we can meet with him. He's made uh, he will, so that we'll be made whole. Whole and assured that we are just secure in him, in his grace in his forgiveness, and in his purposes for us. And in that, he teaches us to recover our purpose and to think of our own lives a new way. And it's like, it's like a, it's a different paradigm. It is a paradigm-shifting, fundamental reality to a way to think about yourself. Because it's a category of being. 
Like, when Jesus meets Nicodemus, like, in John 3, like, like Jesus, uh, Nicodemus says, like, what shall we do to be, to be saved, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, ah, that's crazy. But it's a paradigm-shifting sort of thing. It's a paradigm-shifting sort of thing. Like, some of you get it because you've lived it and you've experienced it. And maybe you have, but, but what I'm going to tell you is what I need to hear is there is yet more. Continue on because there's, there's still good things to be had in that life. Don't, don't abandon it. Don't give up on it. Continue on in that wholeness. So maybe you, you've experienced it. Uh, but I think some of you, you know, you might be intrigued, but it's like a foreign idea to rest like that. To find rest for your soul. You're like trying to conceptualize that. It's like trying to imagine, what is it like to be weightless in space? Like, I could sort of think of what that might be like. Like, I can, I, I can conceptualize that there would be a, a, like a thing called weightlessness. But I'm not Jeff Bezos. Right? I don't have a rocket to get into. And um, Sorry, Jeff. I don't have a way to just like, like step I've not experienced that. But what I'm saying, and I think what Jesus is saying, is that your life was meant to be different than the way you live it. You are meant for rest. Your purpose is to enjoy him, and maybe that's like foreign. And it's foreign because our brains are so caught up in an old way of thinking about life. A way that where like Jesus isn't the rest-giving easy, yoke, kind, forgiving, faithful, like God. Like, like we, 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 we think of our lives, and we, we've grown habituated in living our lives, like, according to optimization that we have to take on. We have to manage everything. And, and we don't think, we, we are habitually in a pattern of thinking about our lives and managing it without God's care and provision and kindness and grace. So what do you do? Like, how do you change your thinking on that thing? How do you change your thinking and think, okay, maybe I don't even understand it, but I, I want to take whatever the step is to start to understand it. What do you do? Well, the answer is, you repent. And now you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did, but, but, like, I think of repentance, and it's like, I did something really bad. Like, you know, I, I flicked my brother in the ear, if you're like my children. Um, or, I don't know, I stole something. That's what you repent of. But the thing about repentance is it is not what we think it is. I mean, there's a moral element to it. Like, when we do morally bad things, we just have to weigh those things in light of what God says is good and right, and we just say, I need to repent, because I thought this was fine, but actually what I'm realizing is it's not. And so I need to turn from this thing. But in the end, that's a, and biblically, that's like a mental spiritual process. The word, the Greek word for repent, the, the, the word that Jesus used for repent is a metanoia. And metanoia means have a new mind. It doesn't mean feel really guilty, right? Which is what I would like it to mean because I can do that. I'm really good at that, right? So I can just feel guilty till the cows come home. It's, no, have a new mind. Consider your ways. Like Haggai says to, says to the Israelites, just think about what you're doing. And is it consistent with what God has said is true? And if you realize it's not, then trade one way of thinking for another way of thinking through repentance, 
If in your mind you've thought your life is about working and managing and performing, doing and not first about resting, not first about just like trusting in the Lord, then I think you should repent of that. Which is just sober-mindedly coming before God and saying, I don't want to misunderstand my purpose in my life any longer. And I don't know how to fix that, but I don't want it. I don't want it any longer. If you're um, as old as me or older, they fixed this problem since then, but you remember what a pain it was to update your OS. You guys remember that? took like six hours. And what you had to do is you had to be really committed because you had to erase your computer and then trust that a new operating system was going to come onto your computer and at the end of this very long process, you were going to have a computer that functioned. Right? Same machine, you would have a same machine, but there'd be new coding. I'm sure that's still what happens, but you don't notice it anymore because, because I have a Mac and it's just like smooth as butter. I'm sure that's still what's going on, but it makes me less nervous. Um, and don't, don't actually me, computer guys. I want to think that this is how it works. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't care what's really true. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, this is how I experienced it uh, in my life. So it's my truth. I'm speaking my truth. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to get off track. Um, <laughs> But like, to me, that's a good analogy because it's like through repentance, what God does is this. He says, we repent. What we come to the Lord is we're saying, Lord, I'm willing to have like the new system. I'm willing you, for you to take my mind and my operating system and my paradigms. I'm willing to get rid of them, and I want you to renew them. But I mean, like, that's something you need to do. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And here's the thing, like, the writer of the book of Hebrews um, earlier, because the logic is, is, is a little bit out of order, he tells the people about rest. And he says, the thing that's going to keep you from this rest is a lack of faith. Like, like what's going to keep you from rest is just not entrusting yourself to this process. See, back in the day when you were ready to switch to the new operating system, you needed faith. You needed faith because you were going to press that button and you were going to wait six hours and you were going to pray, Lord, let there be a computer on the other end of this business. I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I think it will. I think this process is going to lead to good things. 
That was faith. Here's what the writer book of Hebrews says earlier in verse uh, 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only those who believe can enter his rest. So, worship team can come up here. The question is, is are we people of faith? Are we people who are bold enough to say, okay, I understand that God has this promise. Like Jesus has this easy yoke. He's going to change my, my mind and my life over, over the course of time. So are we sort of the people who are willing to push the button, right? The button of faith. Just saying, okay, I entrust myself to this Jesus. If we find ourselves to be the people sorts of people who have just misunderstood our purpose, like thinking that we're just about our work, or just we, do, we just need enough of God to get by because the really important thing we do is our work. If we find ourselves to be people who are misliving, misunderstanding what God is up to, then we just have to, by faith, repent and receive from him this new thing this rest, this hope, this joy, this new kind of life, this easy burden. And you know, the thing that's stressful about faith and letting God work in our lives is that, and this is the, this is the thing, this is what we don't like about it. It actually depends on Him. Unless you had the CD-ROM, you know. <laughs> but if you're downloading it from the cloud, like you were just like, there is a new operating system out there. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know how any of this works, but I'm just going to press this thing. That's my agency. I just say yes. And then suddenly, Bill Gates, <laughs> you know, downloads and, and fixes your computer, right? Now, like the Lord, like, like we, we are coming to God by, by faith. We are resting on him, but we just need to hit, say, hit the yes button. Okay, let's do it. And he starts to do something in us. And if you stop this process in the middle of it, you find that it didn't actually happen all the way. I'm not talking about being saved. <laughs> I'm talking about growing and maturing and having our minds renewed. I'm talking about finding out what our life is really for. There is something really good on the other side of, okay, let's do it. There's rest and there's peace. And it's not like you're going to quit your job and become so spiritual and live on a mountain. But you're going to start to do your job and care for your family and exist in the world from a place of security and rest. Because you know that Jesus has you and you know when you fail, he still loves you and cares for you. And you know that he's going to be doing this work of transforming your mind over time. And so your life suddenly flops. You used to think, I'm just a guy who wants to live my life, and so I optimize so that I can do my job. And then you realize, no, everything in life, all my energy, all my hope, all my joy, all my, all my expectation, I think it's just going to flow from this place of encountering and meeting God. And then suddenly you'll have a prayer life. Like you won't need to talk yourself into it anymore. 
Because you won't be thinking about it competing with all the other things you're doing. You realize, no, this is who I am. This is what I need. How could I not meet with God? So, we come, come empty-handed, and we come in faith, and we just ask God, like, say, okay, I'm willing, Lord. I don't have the motivation and the desire, and I, I just, like, because my mind is so caught up in this old way of thinking, but I want a new mind, and so we come empty-handed like that. We come wanting to receive from God like that. And he loves it. He loves it when we humble ourselves in that way. When we put down the pride, and we put down all of our other priorities, and we just say, God, I'm willing to take a venture to put a lot on the line, to think a new way. So um, that's the invitation. And if you're, and I'm not, this isn't going to resolve. I'm not going to resolve this for you. What I'm saying is, like, I can bring you up to this point where I hope you see that there's more to your life. And then I just, I just want to say, so hit the okay button. Like, start to live that way. I can't prove it more. I can just say, there's something on the other side of that, and it's really good. There's something on the other side of, of faith. I'm just saying, okay, Lord, I, like, I want to ha- find out and experience and have my mind so transformed that I really do believe and, and live my life according to that thing. Like, I can't do that for you, but he can. And so, oh, he's going to pray for us.